out of this morning, just three short verses, but today we are beginning a new sermon series called The Pursuit. This is going to be a short sermon series, but, you know, just a reminder that we're all chasing after something. We're all after something in our lives. Um, you know, for some of us, it might be riches, and for others, it might be uh, a lower cholesterol. <laughs> for some, it might be family harmony. It, it might be a, a life of legacy that you're pursuing after. It could be that you're on a morning like today, you're pursuing warmer weather, or on a, on a day like today, you're thinking about the Browns who lost yesterday, and you're pursuing one more win, and you just want to think about next year, and uh, man, we're all chasing after something, and I think, I think we can all agree that, you know, uh, we can look at our, our, our phone screens, our home screen, we can look at our bank accounts, we can look at our calendars, and for many of us, that will tell us what we're really after. And I'm, I'm making the assumption that this morning that many of you are on a pursuit of righteousness. You want to know God. You want to know him more deeply. You want to be in a relationship with him more intimately. But I wonder how many of us in our pursuit of righteousness, our paths have been affected by the distraction of lesser things as we pursue the righteous one. I think many of us have been uh, distracted in so many ways. You know, we say that we want to pursue the things of God, but for, for, for far too often, we don't count the cost of what it would look like to pursue after God. So we don't count the cost of what it would look like to, to prepare for a journey of chasing after Christ. And I think about how we do that so often in our spiritual lives. We don't count the cost. We don't consider the consequence. We just make decisions. And so many times we get distracted as a result or we lose, we lose hope as a result or we just give up the fight because it becomes too difficult as a result of not counting the cost. And nowhere in life do we do this as much as we do in our spiritual life. Like, think about it. If you were going to buy a home, uh, you're not going to take out a 30-year mortgage without considering interest rates. You're not going to take out a mortgage on a home without considering uh, the location and considering the school systems and considering uh, interest rates and considering the taxes on that property. You're not going to go buy a car without thinking about the gas mileage and if you can get in and out of that car easily or not or how it handles in the snow, all of these things. You consider all of those things before you, uh, you, you make the decision. You count the cost. Think about a financial advisor. Nobody makes a financial uh, a financial decision on an advisor without first building trust with that person to say, are they going to be responsible enough to, to handle my investment? Are they going to be able to handle and invest well the money that I've worked so hard for? We take time and consider these decisions and we count the cost. We do this in almost every area of our life because we want to we guarantee on a good return on investment. You know, we, we think about returns on investment in so many areas of our lives. You know, uh, about seven years ago, I got myself invested into something that I didn't properly count the cost on ahead of time. You guys ever done that? You ever made a decision that you didn't slow down and pray over? You didn't slow down and really consider? It just felt right in the moment, and you just jumped all in, only to realize, man, I probably should have slowed down and thought through this a little bit better. Well, I had, to, uh, I had some men in my small group that wanted to go on a backpacking trip. This was the third backpacking trip that we had done together. I had a little bit of experience at this point uh, in the high country. I've been on two previous backpacking trips, very difficult, very strenuous trips. 
But this third one that we were going on was not nearly as difficult, although it was a long hike. It was about seven miles one way. And I was not fully considering the pursuit, the investment of the pursuit. All I had considered was the prize at the end of the pursuit. And the prize was a crystal clear mountain alpine lake that had streams flowing out of it that you could, you could fish for trout and all kinds of amazing fish. It was nestled in the Ponderosa Pines in the high country of Colorado. And it was just beautiful and it was untouched. And there was nobody around for miles. And so it was just me and my guys and we were going on this trip. And I just considered that whatever was going to be in front of me, whatever I was gonna to have to persevere through, whatever I was gonna to have to endure, it was worth the pursuit. And about five miles into the journey, the pursuit was no longer worth it. The prize was no longer worth it. I felt like my body was giving out on me. I felt like I wanted to give up. I couldn't, uh, man, I couldn't take another step. In that moment, I had 45 pounds of gear on my back. We're about five miles in at about nine, maybe 10,000 feet in elevation. And I just plopped down on the ground. My backpack is still on me. And I'm just like, guys, I don't know how much further I can go. And I just kind of do one of these. Almost broke the pew. Um, I just kind of do one of these on the ground. And I'm like, fellas, I don't think I can go any further. I think this is about all I've got. Why don't you just leave me here? I'll catch up at some point. I know we've only got maybe two miles left. I'll just catch up or maybe more likely I'm just going to die here and just, you know, pick me up on your way back. You know, I felt like I wasn't going to make it. My body was completely giving out. I wasn't thinking clearly. And my guys slowed down. And they said, Chris, did you consider what this trip was going to require of you? Did you stop and consider, count the cost of what you were going to have to invest in this? And it turns out that I guess you can't have a diet of Twinkies and Mountain Dew before you go on a big backpacking trip like this. Um, so I didn't fully count the cost. And they said, Chris, after I was sitting down for about 10 minutes and I just couldn't find the energy to go on, they're like, hey man, have you been drinking your water? And I look at my water bottle, I have like a 40, 44 ounce bottle of water, and I realized after five miles of hiking, I had only drank about 10 ounces of water. But like, fellas, I don't feel thirsty. They're like, Chris, you're dehydrated. We're fairly certain you need to start putting fluids in you now. I didn't fully count the cost, and I paid the price. I literally felt like I just wanted to die in that moment. I just wanted them to leave me and just pick me up on the way back. I was unprepared for the pursuit, and it affected my performance in the hike to the point where my body gave up. Now more than ever, friends, we are seeing people that are failing in their walk with the Lord. In their pursuit of Christ, they are growing weary, and they're growing faint, and they're not able to continue on in their pursuits. The truth is, is that many people just in the world are not equipped for the grind of life. You know, I, you know I, the older I get, and we all do this, right? We consider the younger generation, we consider those that are coming up, and they just don't seem to have the grit that we once had, you know? They don't have the work ethic, they're not as tough as we are. And we look at those younger generations and we're like, man, they're just not gritty. They just don't know how to grind. And I think that, you know, every generation seems to be less and less gritty as we go. And we are now looking at our girls and that, Gen Z uh, a generation that's coming up, and I think to myself, man, 
These kids don't have much fight in them, and we have to train them for difficult things because the world is equipped to just give up. When, when life gets tough, when barriers are in front of us, it's, and when it's hard to overcome them, it's so much easier just to throw in the towel and wave, you know, wave the white flag of surrender. I think, um, I think about how this lack of grittiness over the years has even affected the church in our country. Yeah. You know, Pastor Dave shared a statistic in our staff meeting this week. We, we have a staff meeting once a month, and a whole entire staff comes together, and Dave usually preaches a little mini-sermon and just challenges us with some general leadership principles and thoughts. And he said this. He shared a statistic with us. He said that 40 million people have left the church in the last 30 years. The bottom line is the pursuit of Christ is difficult. We know this. Like you have been through it. You are here today because you have endured, because you are pursuing with Christ, and you know it's not always easy. And those who don't treasure the prize, those who don't treasure Jesus Christ truly as their Savior, may never be able to continue through the difficulty in order to um, achieve that, uh, that prize that is waiting for them at the finish line. And so I just think about that statistic, 40 million people. How different would our nation be if there were 40 million more fully devoted followers of Christ? Amen. How different would our church be if just the people in this church at Crossroads were more fully devoted to Jesus Christ and a life of following after him and pursuing after their prize? And that's not to lay guilt on you. I'm preaching to the choir this morning. You're here because you're devoted. We know that the very easy thing this morning would have been to do is to stay home and just sleep in and uh, maybe catch Pastor Dave's sermon online or something like that. So I know I'm preaching to the choir, but think about how different our church would be if we had just the members in it more singularly focused on a pursuit of Jesus Christ. Well, Hebrews chapter 12, in the midst of people that are losing, um, losing their will to fight, that are distracted in the pursuit of the prize of Jesus Christ, Hebrews chapter 12 tells Christians how we can live in a world that is quickly running out of steam in their pursuit. And this is kind of a, uh, maybe one of those messages that hopefully will encourage you. The older we all get, the easier it is to just put it on cruise control. The easier it is to coast. The easier it is to let down our guard. And that's exactly when the enemy loves to sneak in and trip us up. And so this is this text this morning and the three simple points that I have for you today are really just reminders of what it looks like to live a life in hot pursuit of Jesus Christ and the righteousness that he gives. So I want to read chapter 12 of Hebrews, the first three verses. This is what the writer says. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners, such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. This is the challenge for us this morning as we, as we sometimes tend to grow weary, as we, as we look around at the landscape around us and it just wears us down. There's a reminder for us to continue in pursuit of our prize, Jesus Christ. 
And so I know you don't have to fill in the blanks this morning, but I still have three points I want to give you. If you want to write that down, certainly you're welcome to do that. And the first point that I gather from Hebrews chapter 12 is that we should run the spiritual race with endurance. We should run the race with endurance. Verse 1 again says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This is our challenge. This is our, our, our exhortation this morning as believers to run the race with endurance. And when we read that first, that first word of that first verse of chapter 12, that word therefore, therefore, since we are so uh, surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that word therefore harkens back to what we previously read in chapter 11. What, what the writer previously wrote, in fact, I want to read um, to you about what the writer wrote in Hebrews chapter 11. You see, there were 17 named heroes, named individuals, who were heroes of the faith. There was a collective group of, uh, of basically honorable mentions. These people were all members of the Hall of Faith. We know Hebrews chapter 11 to be. These people walked with the Lord. They ran their race. They endured hardship, and they realized their prize on the other side of eternity. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, just a, a few verses earlier, starting in verse 33, working down through verse 39. These people who through faith conquered kingdoms, they enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put forth armies to flight, Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. These are all Old Testament saints, Old Testament heroes of the faith. They didn't have Emmanuel, God with us. They didn't have the enduring presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives at that point in time. They looked forward in faith as we look back upon Jesus who came and lived a perfect sinless life and died on the cross to reconcile us back to God. They were looking forward to this Messiah, a Messiah that they had never seen and couldn't quite fully comprehend. Their spiritual race required endurance because for many of them, it involved a martyr's death. Think about it. If I asked you this morning to run a race, and at the end of your race, there would be a participation trophy, whether you won or not, and most likely a fatal heart attack at the end of your race, would you sign up for that? Of course you wouldn't. Nobody wants to sign up for how they, they know things are gonna end if it's gonna be a, a fatality. But that's kind of what these people did. They were not promised anything other than that, that there would be a reward at the end of their race. They were not promised an easy life. They were not promised that they were always going to be victorious. They were not promised that they were going to be famous and that they were going to live a life of abundance. These people ran their race and they endured. They endured torture and mockings and floggings, imprisonment, stonings. People were sawn into pieces. 
They were killed by the sword. They had wardrobes of sheep and goat skins. They lived lives destitute. They were wandering in deserts and they lived in dens and caves. These were people that signed up for a life of difficulty. And they knew what they were getting into, but they, they were looking forward to the promise of a Messiah, the promise of heaven. Who among us has that kind of conviction today? If this were the journey that you were asked to sign up for, this kind of a lifestyle, would any of us put our name down and say, sign me up? And all of that we just, you know, that word therefore is referring back to all of that um, that we just talked about. It's an attempt to appeal to us to live in light of what we just read. Therefore, in light of that, live this way. In light of what was modeled before you came along, in light of what was modeled by saints of the faith long ago, live in light of that. If the Old Testament saints were able to run and endure without seeing the promised Messiah, how much more, folks, should we be dedicated and devoted? How much more should we be able to endure now that the Messiah has come and we have seen his glory and he has walked among us and we read his stories and we have his witness and his testimony? Our faith in a resurrected Savior, this is the spiritual race of our lives. And it's not a sprint. We all know that. It's a marathon. And you train very differently for a marathon than you do a, a sprint. You can't shortcut the process. You have to grind. You have to have a grittiness about you in order to endure in your training, in your pursuit of that prize. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever heard the name of, um, maybe you remember this name, I don't know, uh, Rosie Ruiz? Anybody remember Rosie Ruiz? Mark, Mark remembers her. Rosie Ruiz is a name that went down in infamy. I just learned about her this week. I was uh, not quite old enough to remember her because back in 1979, when I was just a, a wee little baby, uh, back in 1979, Rosie Ruiz finished 11th place in the, the famous New York City Marathon. You wanna know how she finished 11th place? You would think it was by a lot of training, a lot of hard work, a lot of sweat, a lot of bruises, a lot of blisters, but that really wasn't how she finished 11th place. She finished 11th place by mid-race hopping onto the subway in New York City and jumping the course only to jump back onto the course toward the end of the race and finish 11th place. And so by finishing in 11th place, her very first marathon ever, that qualified her for one of the most famous marathons in the history of the world, the Boston Marathon. So the next year in 1980, Rosie Ruiz gets into the Boston Marathon, and guess what? She wins it, except she didn't. She didn't win it. Rosie Ruiz was a cheater. She, she circumvented the whole process of training for a marathon. Uh, witnesses tell us all these years later that Rosie Ruiz never started the race. She never hit any of the checkpoints along 26 miles, only that she jumped into the race in the last mile, just a couple of minutes before the next female runner. She jumped the entire course, onto the course, ran the last mile of the race, looked like she had run an exhausted 26 miles at the end of it, and everybody believed her to be the winner. 
And at the end of the race, she did this post-race interview, and the lady that was interviewing her was asking her about her training and her regiments and all that, and you could tell she had no idea what this lady was talking about. She had no experience. She didn't endure anything. She didn't, she didn't put in the work for anything. She didn't grind. She didn't grit it out. She simply cheated the process. Folks, in the life of a, of a follower of Jesus Christ, I know many of us want the cheat codes. We want to be able to circumvent the difficulty and we want to circumvent the, 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 the struggle that comes along with it. But there are no cheat codes in the life of following Christ. There are no uh, um, places where we can circumvent the process. We have to put in the effort and we have to run that spiritual race with endurance. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36, just a, uh, maybe a page back in your Bible, verse 36, speaks to this. It says this, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised to you. The writer of Hebrews is saying you need endurance in your life so that you might attain that prize that you are racing for. There's a reason, folks, that Scripture talks so oftenly about, or frequently, I should say, about endurance and perseverance because it is a long, arduous race. It is difficult work. In Scripture, the, the Bible wants us to be prepared because if we are not prepared for the pursuit, we're never going to be able to endure for the prize. So the question is, how do we run a race of endurance? How do we run our race focused and able to endure until the very end? There's three quick ways I've got. Um, as free as we can, as focused as we can, and as faithfully as we can. And scripture in Hebrews chapter 12 is going to kind of lay that out for us as we go along. But the second point that I've got this morning is, the first point is, uh, run that spiritual race with endurance. The second way that we can run is to lay aside, by laying aside, the weight of sin. We should lay aside the weight of sin. Look at the second part of chapter 12, verse 1 again. Let me just start at the beginning. We'll focus in on the second part. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely to us. You know, as runners in this race, we have to be able to throw off the things that are holding us back. We have to be able to rid ourselves of the weights that are holding us down and are encumbering us and maybe even enslaving us as we pursue Christ. You know, you saw that video from Pastor Dave. There are a lot of Christians. There are a lot of people in our pews and in our church here at Crossroads that are running a race and they don't even realize that they're weighted down by sin, by bondage in their life. We have to set these sins aside. We have to set that bondage and those chains aside so that we can run freely that race toward our prize, Jesus Christ. And sin is the great, the great weight of our humanness. Every one of us deal with it. Every one of us struggle with it. Every one of us have to fight against it because it holds us back. And Christians are not immune, even though we have freedom in Christ Jesus, even though we are ultimately overcomers. We still have to fight against sin. Because Satan is not done trying to make us ineffective and trying to wear us down. In fact, there are three types of solicitation to sin that Scripture gives us. There are three types. First of all is the external uh, solicitation of the world. We know that there is a world out there that wants to make us an enemy of God. James chapter 4. Uh, I want to turn over there. James chapter 4, verse 4 says this. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 
When we decide that we want to make our bed with the world, we want to follow the ways of the world, ultimately it's going to divide our allegiances with the Lord, and we are ultimately going to become an enemy of God because we have become so familiar with the things of this world. That's the external solicitation of sin, the world. There's also an internal solicitation of sin. It's the flesh. We know that our flesh is sinful. We know that we are broken. We know that our flesh wants to fail us, and we have desires within our flesh that are not pleasing and honorable to the Lord. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17 says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify this, the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you do not want to do, or the things that you should do. So we know that there's a flesh internally that wants to fail us, that wants to do what is wrong, that wants to sin and rebel against God. But there's also not just an internal, not just an external, but there's a supernatural solicitation of sin called the enemy, the devil. First Peter chapter 5. Many of you know this verse. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Let me get there real quick. Um, says this. Um, it says, be sober, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. There is a spirit world around us, and it is uh, overseen by the enemy, Satan, who wants to, who wants to completely incapacitate us, who wants to overcome us, who is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking to devour us. This enemy is external. And when it comes to the fight of sin that's in your life, whether it be internal, external, or supernatural, we have to fight against sin every day of our lives. And we should have either a, a, a fight or flight response to sin. There are some sins that we definitely should fight against, that we should stand up to. James chapter 4 says that we can resist the devil. Scripture tells us resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. Resist the devil. Like, we can resist that temptation. We can stand against the enemy. We can stand against the devil. But there are also some sins that we should not try to resist. We should not try to stand against necessarily, but we should run from them. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 introduces us to one of those sins. 1 Corinthians 6, 18, um, it says this. It says, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Scripture doesn't tell us to stand up against sexual immorality. It's just to run from it as fast as you can. And then it read on in Hebrews. We're back in Hebrews 13, um, verse 5. It says, um, it says another sin that we should run from. It says, keep your life free from the love of money. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So the things that we should flee from, the sins that we should run from, are those temptations of sexual immorality and the love of money. I heard it, so, I heard it said one time that that means that we should run from the honeys and run from the monies. <laughs> now those are the things that we shouldn't stand against necessarily. We've got to flee that temptation. But the problem is that for so many Christians, we are so comfortable in our sin. It is so familiar to us. We're so um, maybe in love with our sin that we love it more than we love our Savior. And we don't want to let go of those weights that are holding us back. 
Friends, what are the sins that cling so closely to you that the writer of Hebrews talked about in chapter 12? What is that one sin that you've thought to yourself over and over, man, if I could just get control over this, if I could just find victory over this, if I could just be delivered from these chains in this area of my life, then I would be freed up to walk a life that is um, unhindered in my pursuit of Jesus Christ. If you can identify that sin in your life, even to this day, that is the sin that clings so closely to you. That is the sin that, that stands to entrap you and entangle you and encumber you and weigh you down in your pursuit of the prize of Jesus Christ. And I would tell you, just like God told Cain in the Old Testament, that sin is crouching at your doorstep and you have to master it. Don't allow yourself to become enslaved by it. Don't give Satan a foothold for sin in your life by flirting with it. You can have freedom and victory over sin if you put off the weight of it and pursue after your prize, Jesus Christ. The third point this morning quickly is look to Jesus to stay in the race. If we want to if we want to uh, not grow faint-hearted, if we want to not grow weary, if we want to pursue after that prize, hard after Jesus, then we have to look to Jesus to stay in the race. Look back at Hebrews chapter 12, our text. Verses 2 and 3 starts with looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. We should look to Jesus, the founder, the perfecter of our faith. We should consider him in our pursuit. I actually looked this word up when, when I was looking up the phrase, look to Jesus in verse um, two, I actually found the word aphoreo, which is the Greek word for looking to Jesus. It means turn your eyes away from something and fix them on something else. You know, I've seen this play out in my own life years ago, about 26, 27 years ago. Um, I've seen the power of fixing your eyes on something else. See, for three years throughout high school, I was dating a girl. She was my first love. And I thought I was going to marry this girl. We were going to be forever together. We were, we were going to have a happy life together. We started dating my sophomore year of high school, dated all the way up into my first year of college. We went to Bible college together from Ashland, Ohio. Both of us went off to Springfield, Missouri. We thought we were going to get married. And she, over the course of three years, man, she had just, she had some sort of weird grip on me. I don't know if it was some sort of voodoo spell or whatever it was, but man, it was one of those things where we broke up a few times through high school, but I always made my way back to her. It was like the pool was just too strong and I couldn't overcome it because she was the only one that I could see, right? Like she was the only person that I had ever dated. She was the only person I ever cared about. And so I couldn't get past this spell that she had cast upon me. Some of you men know what I'm talking about, right? Like, uh, you've had that woman in your life. We finally, we get off to college. We're about a month into my freshman year, and I'm like, I can't take this anymore. We had a lot of ups and downs, a lot of tribulations, a lot of fighting over the years. But I thought this is the best that it's ever going to be because that's what I fixed my eyes on. But finally, after three years, three and a half years of just fighting and breaking up and getting back together, I'm like, I've had it. I'm done. So I broke up with her. She leaves college, she goes back to Ohio, she comes back to Ohio, and I kind of move on. I dated another girl shortly after her, not for very long. Um, and, and, and a few months later, my ex-girlfriend from Ohio, she comes back to Missouri. 
wanting to get together, wanting to work things out and give it another go. And that probably would have happened. My life would have looked significantly different today had that happened, but it didn't. And it didn't for one reason. By the time she came back, I had fixed my eyes on another girl named Becky Hill. And Becky Hill had um, caught my gaze and caught my attention. And we had not even gone on our first date yet. We had it on the calendar, but my ex-girlfriend comes back to campus and she's like, hey, I wanna work this out. Becky's kind of in the middle of this like dramatic, you know, relationship trauma, whatever it is. And I'm talking to Becky, I'm like, I know we're supposed to go out, but my ex-girlfriend is back and she wants to work things out. Like, you know, I thought I was gonna marry her, but you're here now, we've talked about going out. And Becky's like, I ain't no drama, mama. I don't want any part of this. She's like, you do whatever you wanna do. Do what you gotta do, I'll be fine either way. I'm not getting in the middle of this. And she kind of steps back and says, Chris, do what you gotta do. And I almost went back to my ex-girlfriend, but Becky had caught my gaze. I had fixed my eyes upon her, and I realized I'm never going back. I went on that first date with Becky, who then became my wife. The rest is history. And it was the best decision I ever made in my life because I was in pursuit of one thing for three, three and a half years, and then I fixed my eyes on something else, and I pursued that, and the Lord honored that. That's the way that we should be with our Savior, Jesus Christ. We should not fix our eyes on the things of our flesh. We should not fix our eyes on the things of the world. We need to fix our eyes and transfix them on Jesus Christ. Because if we are distracted with spiritual eyes, if we are distracted, our worship will become distracted. When our worship becomes distracted, our pursuit becomes distracted. And Satan is a master of distraction. He loves to get our eyes off of the prize and to steer us toward lesser things. Think about the garden. All the way back to the garden. Isn't that exactly how he got Eve to fall? Did God really say? Did he really mean that? Satan steps in and says, I'm just going to distract you. I'm going to take your eyes off of the truth of what God has told you. The truth of your relationship with him. And I'm going to cause you to doubt. I'm going to cause you to think that he's holding out on you. I'm just going to cause a minor little rift. And that one little rift, that one little distraction, turns into the mess of humanity. A fallenness that each of us um, feel the effect of as a result. Folks, people are dropping out of the spiritual race every day because we're distracted. I remember the story of Peter. You all know this story if you've been in church for any amount of time. I remember the story of Peter who was in the boat in Matthew chapter 14, and the, the disciples were in this boat, and the waves were tossing, the wind was blowing. It was a really difficult circumstance. They all thought they were going to drown, and Jesus appears to them on the water, walking on the water, and Peter says, Lord, let me come to you, and Jesus bids him to come. And Peter does the one thing that no one else had the guts to do. He steps out of the boat. I know we give Peter a hard time when we talk about how he would always put his foot in his mouth and how he was always kind of saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. He was jumping the gun, but Peter was obedient. He actually stepped out of the boat and he walked on water. He did that for a moment. As long as he kept his gaze fixed on Jesus, he was able to stay above the water. But guess what? He got distracted, didn't he? Scripture tells us in Matthew chapter 14 what he was distracted by. You might think it would be the, the large waves. You might think it would be another boat. You might think it would be the rain or the, the disciples that were behind him in the boat. 
But scripture tells us that he was distracted by the wind. Can you see the wind? You see sometimes the effects of the wind in the trees. And I'm sure Peter saw the waves that were affected by the wind. But scripture tells us that he was distracted by the one thing that he couldn't visibly see. That one tiny variable in this whole process caused him to sink in his pursuit of Christ. Because he took his eyes off of his Savior. Folks, so many of us are distracted in our lives. We have to fight against that distraction. And be reminded that Christ is the author and the finisher of our faith. Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. The one that we look to for reconciliation and justification is the one who will deliver us unto eternal salvation. May we never lose our focus for Christ. May we turn our eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. You know that song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And the more we transfix our gaze upon Jesus, the more beautiful and the more attractive and the more appealing that he becomes to us, and the less desirable the world becomes. The more distant it feels, the more upside down it feels. Pursue after Jesus. Run the spiritual race. And when we fix our eyes upon him and we run with endurance, we will realize a prize. We will overcome. We'll be freer from sin. We'll be more focused on Jesus. And we'll be more faithful in our pursuit of him. So in your race, consider Jesus who endured the cross. Let his example strengthen you for the journey ahead. That you may grow um, Grow in, in love for him, grow in affection for him, and not grow weary and not grow faint-hearted. Heavenly Father, we want to pursue you well in 2024. We know that you are our prize, you are our reward, you are um, our glory and the one that we look to. And uh, Father, we want to give you our focus and our attention, and we want to endure well for you. So help us to be obedient. Help us to uh, chase after you. Help us to not grow weary or faint-hearted in our race. That we may get to the finish line and realize our reward, to realize our prize, eternity with you. Father, we're so grateful for those promises that we have as we run through the difficulty of life. In Jesus' name, amen.